Bonjour, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Thought Architecture. So in this episode, I wanted to run through a couple of the very typical issues that people run into with language learning and <clears throat> literally present my methodology, the methodology that comes from 15 years in the classroom, helping people at all levels of language learning, as well as learning languages myself, as well as a master's degree, as well as speaking to other people who have learned languages and finding out basically what the problem is. So I'm just going to jump straight into it. Um, in response to the language boot camps that I will be running, by the way, if you're interested in that, please check out the links below. The language boot camps are focused on the first 100 phrases to be able to get you to having a comfortable conversation that's with a stranger, a getting to know you conversation. Uh, phrases include things like, of course, the hellos, how are yous, good day, good evening, uh, I gotta go, goodbye, that kind of stuff. But it also includes things like, where do you come from? Uh, do you have a family? You know, so like some, some information, what are, you, what are your hobbies? Uh, why are you learning this language? Where are you going with it? Uh, where have you visited? You know, those kinds of things that strangers are likely to inquire. And so when you're traveling around or when you meet someone, you're likely to be able to, uh, to start a conversation like this. And then, of course, some phrases that allow you to uh, escape the conversation like, I don't know, uh, do you speak English? Can we continue? Can I use my translator? There's that kind of stuff. So the language boot camps are meant to overcome a couple of problems. But the methodology used in the language boot camps comes out of my own understanding of how language interacts with the brain, how the brain actually adapts and responds to new information. And so <clears throat> with a lot of what is out there as well, the language boot camps contrast with this. So this isn't just a big sales pitch. This is more like this idea of like, how is it different? Well, there's a lot of things out there. So for example, if you look at Rosetta Stone, if you look at um, the other ones are Pimsleur, you know, these are all these, they're, they're based on a method called audiolingual. And what that means is just repeat, listen and repeat, listen and repeat, listen and repeat, which is fine in the beginning, but um, you won't get past a certain point with that type of stuff because you're essentially, you're missing out two very important skills. So if you want to check out the, the previous um, podcast that I did, where uh, I talk about these skills as well, uh, you can check that out. That's uh, transferable brain skills, particularly as it as it pertains to language learning, but these are also meta skills. So the idea is that none of them really take on, to, uh, on board into their methodology this idea of transferable brain skills. They pretty much come out of the area of what's known as operant conditioning or behavioral psychology, where if you prompt someone to say something enough times, they're just going to say it and they're going to start speaking it. It totally takes out the individuality, the creativity of the, uh, the individual learning. And it bypasses one of the most important things, which is emotion. So emotion is tied very, very strongly, very strictly with learning. It, there's a lot of people who can account for this. Uh, there's a lot of research and studies done around this to show that Emotion trumps everything when it comes to creating memories, emotions, positive or negative. The problem is, is that when you have negative emotion association, you, try, you tend to avoid those types of things. They stick in your brain quite a lot, but you avoid them. And so it's positive emotion association that you want to create. Now, how can you do that with language learning? That's quite tough. So a lot of people have just thrown it out the window and decided to abandon this. And of course, that is not the way. This is the way, to quote... Mandalorian. Um, 
the very simple point is that you need to be engaged with it. You know, I previously had a conversation uh, with a friend about his language learning and, you know, it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of time. And unless you're enjoying it, don't do it. So there's two ways that you can enjoy something. Number one is enjoy the activity in which you utilize the particular skill. So for example, if you're learning a language and you enjoy interacting with people or you enjoy reading books, then, you know, read books in that language, interact with people in that language. The the language becomes the mechanism, the vehicle of, you know, the the enjoyable activity. So that's one way. The second way is the enjoyment of challenging yourself, the enjoyment of the process of learning. And so it doesn't take on a particular activity. So for example, you might like reading books but hate studying grammar. Well, if you enjoy the process, then the grammar becomes as enjoyable as the activity of reading the book, for example. So you enjoy reading the grammar. You enjoy dissecting, deconstructing. Now there's you know, a handful of people who naturally enjoy this type of uh, process. There's others that see it as a bit of a waste of time. But the taking a little bit of pleasure and a little bit of time to learn how to enjoy deconstruction has so many transferable effects. Hence my last podcast, The Transferable Brain Skills. So I highly recommend that you check that one out. But the idea is that when we go into apps like Duolingo, they've tried to gamify this and... Oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to take a sip of coffee because gamification of education was such a buzzword, you know, a few years ago when I was, uh, yeah, when I was doing all my training in, in being a teacher. So, you know, here's to that. Ah, that's good coffee. Yes. The gamification of education, you know, yes, let's make it all fun and games and all of that. And you level up and you do this and you do, you know what, you know what, go and take a look on YouTube at people who have like winning streaks in Duolingo and ask, you know, like you can find these videos on YouTube and all of these people will say like, I did like 400 days of Duolingo and here's the results and the results are always terrible. Terrible. I wanted to use an SHIT word, but I decided not to because who knows, maybe in the car with you. So <laughs> Duolingo, apps like this, they rarely work because they try and gamify it. Ultimately, the point is that language is language. It's not, it's not a game. You can understand it in terms of like a leveling system if you want or something like that. But ultimately, you need to take some some pleasure out of it you need to find something beautiful about the process if it's just about getting to the next level getting to the next level you know it's not that effective and you don't necessarily prompt uh, the changes in your brain just any more than playing you know a game where you're wielding a sword will actually transfer into you actually being able to use the sword i think the best metaphor i can give you is guitar hero is not going to make you better at playing guitar it's going to make you, if you get good at Guitar Hero, you're going to get better at playing Guitar Hero. It's that simple. Just like apps like Duolingo, might there might be some transfer, but it's so far away from what reality is that it's not worth really doing it, unless you absolutely love it. And most people don't necessarily love Duolingo over Netflix, let's say. So, you know, but who knows? You could be one of those few people who really enjoy it and, you know, fly your freak flag high, as I say. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, there are, there are people um, out there on YouTube doing some great things about, like, um, sharing how they learned a language and what worked for them. So there's a particular guy that I really enjoy consuming his content. 
uh, although I don't, I don't enjoy his methodology, I don't, I don't share his passion for reading. And his methodology is all about reading stories and learning language through stories. And, you know, he's got some great materials. Um, he puts a lot of effort into it. And I love his passion, his enthusiasm, his heart. Um, so if you're interested, I'll, I'll connect his YouTube channel below. His name is Ollie Richards, British guy. And, um, you know, like he really tries to engage people in learning a language through storytelling. And it's, it's great, you know, and it works for a lot of people as well. Um, but then you start to come to issues with this. And the issues that you face, I'm going to read you some of the, the problems where people say, uh, where people have answered me. Okay. What would you say is your biggest problem to overcome? regarding language learning. And this is what I said. People responded, fluency, uh, my own cognitive ability and retention, a lack of practicing buddies, <laughs> time and brain power, empowerment in speaking in actual conversations and learning by fire approach, uh, practice partner, retention, constant practical application, uh, don't understand grammar, poor working memory, time and attention, uh, self-consciousness and finding a structure I can stick to, memory and confidence, struggle to make sentences for conversation, fear of getting it wrong and sounding stupid, you know, uh, commitment, being able to start talking, grammar and ease of speaking and dedicating the time to it. So as you can see, there's a lot of them that are time, time sensitive. Like how do you, you know, where does the time come from for this type of thing? And that's why... Um, even if you enjoy something like reading books, you should have a much more time-sensitive, uh, let's, let's call it a, a minimum effective dose type of study that you can do. Kind of like a gym workout that can go along with your weekend hikes that you do for pleasure. If you go to the, the, the gym and you work out weekly, uh, daily, you know, twice weekly, three times weekly, you are going to be better able to perform those fun activities that you do for pleasure for example hiking or cycling with your friends or you know playing a game of football or something like that the gym supports this type of thing so i'm a huge advocate for language gym times so it could be home gym or it could be um, some other type of gym and so now the question becomes okay now that you've got this what do you recommend for these gym times and the simple answer to this is connecting it with working memory and long-term memory acquisition. So your working memory is kind of like an octopus sitting in your head. And every time it plays with a word, it feels the word, you know, like kind of like a block of te Tetris or Lego. And it can feel the shape, the size, all of that type of stuff. It, it gets to examine it so it sees the color, that type of thing. <clears throat> and it puts it in a bag. And the bag is going to be your long-term memory. When it dips its tentacle into the long-term memory bag, it doesn't necessarily see what it's touching. It just pulls something out. And often, if you don't examine something before you put it in there, it just can't find it again. And it's, it, it might be there, but the way to retrieve it and put it into your working memory isn't there. So we've got two things that your brain needs to do. Number one is it needs to take these Tetris pieces or Lego pieces and build them into a block or a chunk of something so that one tentacle can reach and pick out a block of 10 Lego pieces at a time. And that increases fluency. That also um, decreases the load on your cognitive ability. So you don't actually need to think to use language. That's where we want to go. Unconscious competence. Okay. And... Every time your, your, the, the working memory octopus reaches a tentacle into the bag of long-term memory, um, 
when it gets practice going in there and going to the same place and finding the same piece and coming out again, every single time it reaches into that bag, it gets better at finding that particular piece. So this occurs through what I like to call activation memory. And activation memory needs a long period of time in between, you know, times of reaching into the bag. Because if I reach into the bag today, just one time, I know exactly where that piece is again, 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 again. I, I have this short-term memory that, oh, yes, that piece was there in the bag. And when I sleep, it kind of erases that just a little bit. And so I can still see a little bit of the pattern, but it's foggy. And so repeating it again uh, with sleep intervals is important. It doesn't matter how many times I do it in one day. That first time I do it is the only time that counts, maybe the second time as well. But once it's in my brain, that's when I train the working memory, the octopus playing with it, the tentacles. And, and so there's two definite things that you can do. Once you do this, you're basically able to play with a piece, a chunk. Now, that is one skill that I've just talked about. And I've separated into working memory fluency, right? Playing with that chunk, but also putting it in and taking it out of, out of the memory, the, the long-term memory bag. That's another skill. Then we can uh, manipulate a phrase. So let's say I've got a block of 10 Lego pieces altogether. Can I exchange one block at a time? Well, yes, this is quite easy to exchange this piece. It's quite easy to exchange this piece. And that's where a lot of these uh, methods fail. They don't have you changing out these different pieces or they don't put as much emphasis on it at the later stages of learning as well. And definitely they don't communicate that this is what you should be doing. So playing with a piece and learning to substitute out different parts and what effect that has on meaning is very important. And that's quite nice. Now, the, you know, the Center for Brain Health at University of Texas, the Brain Health Institute, um, they talked about um, pushing creativity by considering seven different options. So for example, the phrase of uh, it was two years ago in Spanish was ere hacia... Uh, Oof, now I can't remember this. Era hace dos años. It was ago, two years, yeah. Um, and the very simple idea is if I want to change out something in that sentence, to change out it was ago, two years. The easiest thing to change is going to be the number, right? So first I change out the number, like era hace tres años, cuatro años, cinco años, etc., the next thing, the next piece that I can play with is going to be años, a period of time. So I can also change that out and say like días, semanas, you know, weeks, days, hours, horas, you know, etc. Um, I can also change out the numbers for vague quantities. For example, if I want to say many years, I can say muchos años, you know. Um, if I wanted to say um, some years, you know, then I would say like uh, unos años or algunos años, I suppose. Um and so the idea is the substitution helps you play with it a little bit more. You know, my, my poor uh, Spanish phrase aside, the idea is substitution helps a lot. Now, the last thing is manipulation, as in once I've got a certain level of skill with this, sub, you know, s substituting pieces in and out, I need to be able to use it in a real context. And that looks very similar to just putting sentences before and sentences afterwards. So I've got a situation, I imagine a situation that I can use it in, and I start playing with it 
giving a sequence of words. So if I wanted to say it was two years ago, I could say, come on, you know, you can't still be angry about that. It was two years ago. Or, oh yeah, I went there for a holiday. It was two years ago. And so you're able to create situations that your brain then recognizes as opportunities to pull out some something that it's got practice uh, moving in and out of that long-term memory bag and it's got practice chunking it together into one big Lego block piece of multiple small bricks of Lego. So just checking the time on this, I don't want to go too long. If we go back to some of these problems that people say, so problem number one that I read was fluency. And the idea is fluency is actually attached to, with working memory uh, practice as well as threading and manipulation. Your ability to uh, put it into a sentence or sentence before, sentence after and manipulate the pieces in the sentence as well. So when this person says their own cognitive ability, most people think that language learning is actually something that requires a lot of cognitive ability. It actually doesn't. It's more about doing it there's a f there's far more action in it than you would think there's far more doing than thinking so let me put it to you this way if a kid can learn to speak a language you can do it that's not to discount any pain that you felt in learning a language or difficulty you've encountered the way that adults learn language specifically i'm going to say People above the age of 25 have the capacity to learn a language far faster, far more efficiently, far more painless than any child or teenager because we have full access to our mental faculties. It's that simple. A child is doing it with you know, uh, one leg, one hand tied behind his back, for example. So cognitive, cognitive ability, unfortunately, comes around because teachers in schools presented it, taught it, tested it, kind of like mathematics, and it's not mathematics. The retention as well comes from usage. Once you've done it a few times, you start to get a memory of where it is, how it feels, all of that type of stuff. Most people say lack of practice buddies because they want to feel like they're actually utilizing the language, and that's fine. Um, the biggest thing is the choice of materials should focus on a particular living situation where you can utilize it. So, for example, ordering coffee in a coffee shop in a particular country and then going and ordering multiple coffees will give you that confidence and that feeling. And we want to try and replicate that multiple times over. So, again, what situations are you in? Oh, are you at a party and introducing yourself, describing who you are, where you're from, asking another person? Are you talking to your mom and your dad and telling them about your day? Well, that's one situation as well. So giving people accounts, recaps of your day, of a movie, etc., that's one situation as well. So again, this comes back down to how you approach learning. What is your methodology? What is your choice of materials as well? So that crossover between material and methodology, and then within methodology, what techniques, what actual activities are you using? So I'm giving you a lot of my secrets here. And what's interesting is that the people who talk about not understanding grammar, usually the point comes in that grammar is only necessary at an intermediate and above level because grammar helps you make a lot of sense of things, but you don't need to make sense of them. You just need to know that's what they say and let me repeat it. It's that simple. Let me personalize it in these ways. And you need a little bit of guidance when you start manipulating a phrase, for example, but it's a lot easier than people think. And that fear of getting it wrong and sounding stupid, that usually comes 
with the ums, the ahs, the silences, that social awkwardness. And the more we can train ourselves to actually be a little bit more fluent, a little bit more, um, you know, accurate to the phrase that we've tried to learn, the better. And so it's, it's that easy. And the last thing, the absolute last thing that I'd like to talk about is the commitment. And this is something that I'd like to challenge all of you to think about, which is people either think that you have to learn a language and throw yourself at it or not. Don't do it or do it wholeheartedly. And I would argue with that. I would say dip your toes in the language. Just learn the first hello, how are you conversation. I've got a hundred phrases that, you know, if you learn in one language, you'd be quite comfortable having a first conversation with people. And with that first conversation, just practicing that with the language can get you far and can give you a good taste of like, well, do I want to carry this on more or not? And dedicating a little bit more time then to just your next context, your next situation. Well, would I like to order in coffee shops? Yes. Okay, cool. Well, let me learn how to order in coffee shops. Let me learn how to blah, 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 blah. And you just build your language knowledge one context at a time. That's it. Cool. So uh, if, you're, if you're keen, if you're interested, I am helping people to build one context at a time with my language boot camps. The first one we're running starts uh, Sunday, this coming Sunday, June the 6th. We're going to be doing it for uh, two hours for four sessions, four Sundays. And uh, yep, all materials included. So come on down, uh, get access to a community, get access to methodology, great techniques, and the materials as well. And it's, uh, it's really the, the fastest way after, like I said, 15 years in the industry, as well as personal experiments, as well as a master's degree. It is literally the best solution that I can come up with because I haven't found anything out there that's anywhere near this. So if, you're, uh, if your curiosity is piqued, come on down, send me a message. Until then, I love you lots. I hope you have a wonderful today. And an amazing week, because you deserve it. And that's all I'll say from there. Until next time, adios, amigos.